Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast, where I'm back! You're back! Hey, everybody! Have have you seen some movies? I have. I have finally seen some movies. (laughs) Uh, This is our movie review podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, Normally, this is a weekly show, uh, but I went through the utterly chaotic process of moving, uh, which even at the best of times is incredibly disruptive. Um, It took a lot longer than we thought to like start getting situated and then we had some tech problems and it was a whole thing we went a few weeks without an episode whitney did a solo episode and honestly the 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 response was quite positive people thought you did I'm, great I'm, I'm glad they did I, yeah it was pe- very, people just listened to me ramble on and on for no reason i think it? there were some concerns that it would just be like you just kind of going oh, i don't know what to talk about but you're such a professional you've done like the radio like I, I, so many times you know you know how to capture the, the, the conversation yes. without getting lost. Yeah. You know, it felt professional. And good well, job. Uh, Seriously, I'm very proud of you. It was, it was really great. Thank you. There was... Um, here, here's a little fun insider baseball story. Um, mm-hmm. One of the radio stations uh, had a regular film critic. Yeah. And you and I both listened to their segments. Mm-hmm. Where they just... Uh, and they give a film review on the radio. They mm-hmm. just sort of give a very brief rundown. They tell you, you know, what's good and bad about it, et cetera, et cetera. They give a review. And they were retiring, or they were leaving for another gig, and I think they, uh, the radio station that hosts us let us yeah. know this person's retiring, they're giving up their gig, and you, you and I both sort of independently of each other wrote back and said, oh, haha, you looking for somebody? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, please? Well, yeah. <laughs> that would be like, great. I'm... I'm 20% joking right now. <laughs> oh, I was 50 yeah. tops. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, um... Anyway, that didn't work out. But we both love radio. We both love podcasting. And it's good to be back. Uh, We're going to be reviewing a bunch of new movies this week. Uh, This week, we're going to be reviewing the new releases. uh, The Marvels. uh, The new uh, David Fincher thriller, The Killer. uh, The new Nicolas Cage uh, fantasy film, Dream Scenario. uh, The new Sofia Coppola Mm -hmm. uh, Priscilla Presley biopic, Priscilla. uh, The new holiday slasher, It's a Wonderful Knife. Uh, the new Net- great title, really great. Title. Seriously, how no one thought of that before? Uh, the new uh, Netflix biopic uh, Nyad. That's a biopic, Nyad. right? Yeah, it's a biopic. Okay, yeah. I missed that one. And uh, and the uh, queer holiday rom com A Holiday. I do. A ho- should it a holiday? I a holiday. I did. No holiday. I am doing. It's, a, it's an I do for the holiday. A holiday so it's a I holiday. Am. I do. You know, it's be like it, it would be like be a, it's, it's, it's a, a holiday hol- brunch. It's, it's like, like a holiday I do. It's a holiday I'm doing. Should be. It's a surely. holiday. It's a holiday I do. Should be in quotes, like that would that would sell a, it. A holiday. A holiday I, I do. do. I said I do yeah. for the holidays. I oh. I see your point. Is, oh. is the, what I'm getting at. I understand well, film your titles, concern. Like, the grammar in film titles is atrocious. <laughs> I I I still like get a little bit like bristle a little bit when I see a film title that has both a colon and a hyphen in it. Yeah. It's like two subtitles. Yeah, no. No, don't uh, stop that. Like, also, I heard they're gonna like rename the next Mission Impossible movie so it's not gonna be Dead Reckoning colon Mission, Impo- Mission colon Impossible hyphen Dead Reckoning comma part, comma, one, part yeah. two. They're gonna like ditch the part two or something like mm-hmm. that and call it something else. So like we someone was joking I did all that punctuation for nothing. <laughs> Um, so, some really get me, like, because it changes the the meaning of the title. Yeah. yeah. There's a film out there called Eight-Legged Freaks. Yes. It's about giant spiders. But there's no hyphen in Eight-Legged. There re- oh, so there isn't? So you're talking about eight freaks who are legged in, in that case. Um, <laughs> uh, 
there's no question mark in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so it's an independent mm-hmm. clause. Yeah. Judge Doom, comma, Who, who Framed, framed Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit comma, that's a yeah. spoiler, but yeah. Oh no, I spoiled a movie from 1988, a really popular one. And, and I'm um, sorry, he was the only bad guy in the movie. Right. Like, who else did you think did it? I'm sorry, I spoiled a movie from 1988. Yeah. Um, do you think it was? Do you think it was Benny the Cab? Like, come right. on, it was Judge Doom, obviously, the whole time. Uh, the ones like, there's one called Lara Croft Tomb Raider, but yes. there's no colon or comma. It's just Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah. It's just four four nonsense oh, words. I, I I was corrected. I think it was like. The Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death, but there's like mm-hmm. no colon in there, so it was The Woman oh, in yeah. Black 2, Angel of Death. 2, Angel of Death, yeah. That was confusing. There was a lot of confusion over whether Pacific Rim Uprising had a colon or not, and I think mm-hmm. it was corrected by the publicists both ways at some point. Oh my gosh. Throughout, the, throughout that film's production the, cycle. The one that I'm still getting corrected on Star Trek Generations, which came out in 1994. Yeah, that has no colon. It right? has a colon. It has a colon. It should. Well, it should, does but, it? But I've, I've seen, like, recent updates where it doesn't. Like, they're trying to take it back. It doesn't oh have a colon God. anymore. Well, I mean, they're, they're doing that constantly. They're, like, renaming Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. He is one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You can't do that. It's like it's not like he's also a Temple of Doom. <laughs> that one makes sense. But... Well, but again, you know, Dave Matthews is in Dave Matthews' band. Well, yeah, but that's the eponymous Dave Matthews. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the weeds. We haven't reviewed movies together in like a no, month, and we're, and we're talking about punctuation for ten minutes. But we are talking about movies. By God, we are talking mm-hmm. about movies. And there's... I'll, I'll say this. Mm. For um, the Marvel movies. Yes. There, Segway. There's no confusing punctuation. Except for maybe col- uh, comma VOL period three for the Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. Yeah. Where some of them are like two. Some of them have no numbers. I remember at least when, they haven't been going back and forth like Iron Man three, and then they go back to Iron Man four or whatever. Um, well, no, they didn't do that because that was it was Iron Man two, then Iron Man three. They, they didn't do that. With although Iron Man. on on the screen, it's Iron Man T H R E E, which I like, which I always do. I always do that too. Yeah, out of respect. My, my editors fix it though. <laughs> ah. Anyway, there's a new Marvel movie. It's called The Marvels, number thirty three or something, something like yeah, that. We're, we're, we're pretty deep into the series. It's an absurd number, and it's getting to the point where putting a number on it is just. I mean, kind of pointless. I mean, at this point, we also have to factor in all of the shows. Yeah. Because two of the main characters in this movie uh, were introduced... Well, one was introduced in Captain Marvel, but, like, as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And then was introduced as an adult in the TV series WandaVision. And then the other character was introduced in uh, the TV series Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen those shows. Yeah, I uh, saw... I, I, yeah. I, I don't need to watch those TV shows, so I don't. Yeah. And, uh... I think the movie works if you haven't seen them. The mo- The... You can follow I, it. I don't think uh, you need to know all of that. It, it, it does, it it does catch t- you up. I know it also ties into uh, the events of the TV series A Secret Invasion, which I uh, also didn't see. Actually, think. it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Oh. No, weirdly enough, like, they don't... In fact, the, the movie kind of contradicts it. Because oh, that okay. movie's all about how, like, Nick Fury was, like, trying to, like, relocate the Skrulls to Earth, but in secret, and yeah, they were, like, working... shifting space aliens. And they were, like, working for him in, like, a secret network, but then some of them, like, rebelled and wanted to take over Earth for themselves in the Marvels. Apparently, that never happened. Okay. <laughs> it's not referenced. Uh, it's not mentioned. Nick Fury had a Skrull wife in what? Secret Invasion. That is not mentioned here. His even wife? He does. He's, he's, he's married a to a space alien? Yeah, and he didn't know at first, apparently. 
That, that seems pretty dramatic. It think is. It, it How did this not come character. up? How yeah. did this not come up in this in the movie right, so, with a lot uh, of scrolls in it? A, a big part of the Marvel comics is uh, two alien races, uh, the Kree mm-hmm. and the Skrulls, and they mm-hmm. constantly are at war with one another. Mm-hmm. One another. I couldn't tell you why, and I don't care. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Kree and the Skrulls are at war, and the Kree and the Skrulls are uh, players in this movie. Uh, yeah. The Skrulls are uh, refugees, like they're looking for a place to live. Yeah, their planet was uh, destroyed or something like that. And uh, yeah, they've been looking for a place to live ever since. And the Kree have been floating around in a couple of these movies. They're... they're... Any, any of the movies that take place in space. So, mm-hmm. like, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you have some Kree characters. Yeah, the, the main villain yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy 1, Lee Pace, uh, was a Kree character. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in Captain Marvel, uh, that was about how uh, Carol Danvers was basically abducted from Earth and brainwashed into thinking that she was the Kree's secret weapon because she had all those, like, space powers. Uh, and then she found out she wasn't, and she rebelled, and it was a whole thing. So the Kree were, were kind of bad guys, and at the end of that movie, and this is relevant to this film, uh, she destroyed the Supreme Intelligence, which was this, like, really sophisticated AI program that was essentially running the Kree Empire. And she thought, great. I destroyed the thing that ran their empire, and mm. now they'll be free. And what we so realized very she, she quickly... Pulled, she pulled a Captain Kirk, is what she did. Yeah, she she wrecked everything because the status quo sucked, but did nothing to fix it or replace it, and then didn't check back in. Mm. So And, and that, was, that movie <laughs> took place in the 90s, so it's been a while. Yeah, and oh. so the, the Kree have... Their planet is in ruin, mm. and the villain the sun, of this the film... The sun doesn't shine, yeah. uh, the, the oceans are drying up, they say that somehow a civil war drained them of the resources. They don't say how, but that's their. It's question. kind of yeah, it's kind of vague um, about that. And uh, yeah. the main villain, I, I I actually forget her name, but the the actor's name is Zawai Ashton. Uh, she, she's, she's really good. She's yeah. great. I love Zawai Ashton. I've been a big big fan of hers. Uh, she was in Velvet Buzzsaw. Dar Ben is the character's name. Uh, yeah, but she was in a movie. Hold on, I, I want to make sure I get the name right because I I keep messing it up a little bit. Mm. But she was in a romantic comedy. Uh, a couple of years ago that I really, really liked. Um, I know she was in that film Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah. Um, Mr. Malcolm's List. Oh, yeah. Mr. Yeah, Malcolm's List was a, was a rom-com, uh, like a sort of a modern, like a, a recently written but set in the past and not anachronistic mm-hmm. Jane Austen type rom-com uh, about a woman who is spurned uh, by a very picky, very particular, uh, available uh, gentleman who has a list of criteria. He will not marry anyone who doesn't fit this entire list, and it's absurd. And so she trains someone to fit every single part of this list and then dump him. (laughs) And of course, it all goes horribly wrong. It's very cute. Like, it's really good. Like, you should check out that movie. I like that movie a lot. That's the kind of genre you enjoy. It it slipped under the radar, but I liked it a lot, and she's wonderful in it. So she plays the villain here, and she's trying to... Uh, fix the Kree Empire and what she's going to do over the course of the film is steal the natural resources from other planets and bring them to the Kree homeworld like by, it, like a breathable atmosphere or by, uh, an ocean. Destroying planet Deridia and saving planet Spaceball. It is the plot it's, of Spaceballs. It's balls. the plot of Spaceballs. I, uh. I was amazed no one mentioned it. But I, I, I don't know who... I guess, I guess Kamala Khan is too young to like really know Spaceballs. Maybe it's yeah. not like well, her Carol, generation, but... And Carol Danvers, Danvers missed, like, the 80s and 90s. She came to Earth in the 90s, so yeah, yeah. she would have missed space, because that came out in the late 80s. Yeah, I guess I guess it was all on Monica. 
to. Uh, but she was a little kid in the nineties. But she so, would have yeah. seen it on video. It was Maybe on so. TV all the time. You know, <laughs> we know it's on video. They had it in the movie. Um, <laughs> It's the uh, plot of Spaceballs. It is uh, plot of Spaceballs. Dar Ben wants to steal uh, resources from various planets and replenish them on uh, the Kree homeworld. Yeah, it's Hala. Um, I think is the name of the Hala. homeworld. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not, uh, not, not the bread. It's H A L A. And then, uh, and uh, the and that in, ends there's up involving. Also, there's also uh, some like colossal negative space wedgies uh, floating yeah. around out there, just kind of randomly. And uh, Monica Rambeau and. Um, Captain Marvel just happened mm. to touch these things at the same time. Yeah. And that links up their superpowers. Somehow. Yeah. They have like the same kinds of superpower, like light based superpowers. Mm. Uh, and also uh, Ms. Marvel, who's back on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like, she's like 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, she has a, a bangle, like a, a band she wears around her mm. wrist and that thing starts glowing as well. And mm. it turns out all three of these things are bound together. Yeah. So when any two of them use their superpowers at the same time, they, physically transpose they swap yeah. places which is a, which is a funny gag uh mm-hmm. it leads to there are bits of the action sequences where it goes well it mm-hmm. goes ironically uh the best thing and honestly one maybe my favorite part of the movie mm-hmm. is when they decide to have a training montage it, and, yeah and they just and they, get to when know they each figure it out is, yeah, yeah is they're the all in the same room it. now they're not like transporting across the universe so if they switch places and, it's not fir- a big deal in the first third of the movie they were switching like across the universe but yeah, yeah. eventually they eventually meet up in the same place eventually they're in the same spaceship and they're just trying to like sort of figure out how to make that work for them how to like sort of anticipate each other uh and it leads to them like basically like doing like double dutch jump rope yeah like just to practice and like here's the thing with the marvels the plot there's a bad guy wants to do a bad thing there's an element of it i like and i'll talk about that in a minute but from planet to planet to find clues and stop them and their evil scheme there are very few superhero movies i go to for the plot you know, it's basically here's here's we're, something we're in a in world the, of of good guys and bad guys. Yeah, it and, can't get too like ethically complicated. Well, it can, but it's usually pretty direct. Is my mm. point, point. and so I don't mind that the bad guy just wants to destroy some planets and save their planet, and that, that leads to something I want to talk about. But there's an element of the comics, and I was watching this movie, and I realized that this has always been, even when I was a kid my favorite part of comics, and specifically Marvel Comics used to do this a lot better than DC. I think eventually they both got better at it, but Marvel Comics used to do this a lot. They would have more hangout moments. It was just issues where they would just be hanging around the X-Men mansion. Or even parts of issues, but like it wasn't always we gotta run to stop Magneto or we gotta go stop Graviton from lifting New York out of its whatever. There were actually, like, a lot of moments where heroes and their supporting casts just got to be heroes and their supporting casts. Like, my mm. fav- one of my favorite issues of The Incredible Hulk was Rick Jones's Bachelor Party. Oh, I read that issue. Yeah. yeah. It was just Rick Jones's Bachelor Party. And, and, uh, his, and, wasn't, his, and wasn't the bride, his, like, in the stag film they rented? That was the or, twist. Yeah. That was the twist. And, and to the story's credit, after, despite, that was, like, mildly embarrassing, but they get over it in, like, a day. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of judgment. He's not uh, like you. You're a monster. It's like no, no, no. I was young and I did a stag film. It's like, 
all right, that's fine, I guess. Just I, just awkward. Did, I just didn't know, and it was an awkward moment. It was awkward know? that that was the one that was happened to be at my bachelor party. Considering that that was the twist, it could have been handled a lot worse. So, like, that was pretty good. But the point is, he just he got to see, like, Rick Jones kind of drunk, trying to balance on Silver Surfer's surfboard. And, like, okay, yeah. you know, like, all of these little moments. So, like, when they put on the stag film before they find out that Rick Jones's fiance was in it, there's this great bit where everyone's just watching the stag film, and Captain America's just, like, averting his eyes but trying not to look like he's averting his <laughs> eyes because it's still not his jam like it was very very cute um there are all these issues of x-men where they played baseball and like nightcrawler did all the bases oh because he can teleport because he can yeah. teleport yeah um all of these things were fun i don't just like it when my heroes are beating the crap out of each other these are fun characters these are characters i want to they do human stuff. I want, I don't, I well, want, I is, want to know them. I don't, yeah, I, is, I don't project myself into them. I think to myself, wouldn't it be cool to hang out with these people and meet mm. them? And Mar- the Marvels does that as well or better than most other Marvel movies. This is an issue I have with a lot of kind of modern, not just movies, but TV as well, like mm-hmm. fantasy and action-based movies and TV shows. Yeah. Uh, there's no, rarely a sense of status quo. Yeah. Like, what what do these people do when they're not in the middle of a crisis? Yeah. Uh, the, the writers are so busy to get to the action that yeah. there's no chance for them to settle down. We don't get to know who the characters are when they're not dealing with a problem. And I feel like that does a detriment to the characters. I think we had a lot more of that when it was, like, 24-episode seasons. Yeah. And it was and more TV episodic so, in yeah, nature. We could but actually like, like, have episodes where, like, whole episodes where you just slow down for a little bit. But when every series or all these prominent series are mm-hmm. just one one long movie yeah uh, it feels like and it can feel propulsive and that can be really good don't get me wrong but you do lose that mm, but, uh, sense of just living in this place and uh the marvels might have been the first time where i got to where i got a sense of what they did on their time during their time off yeah uh, captain marvel has a spaceship she clearly lives on it mm-hmm. we see her bunk yeah uh, the way she moves about it, the way the camera moves about in yeah. that space, the way these three characters, one character comes out wearing another character's clothes, little tiny moments yeah. that are looked up, looked at and dwelled upon for just long enough to give you a sense of their reality. I like when she wakes up from, she was asleep and she had like a nightmare and it's kind of a plot point or it's setting up something for later. But she wakes up and she's like alone in her apartment, spaceship. It's not, it's not quite as snug as, like, mm-hmm. Gene Kelly's in American in Paris, but it's it's a bachelor pad, basically. Yeah. Uh, and she's got her space cat, Goose, who's actually a flurkin, but whatever. It looks like it, a cat. It looks like a cat. It's like yeah. an octopus monster. And maybe. she just wakes up, she sees Goose, and instantly, laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, that's cute. Yeah. It's, it's details, you know? All these little mm-hmm. things that feel lived in. Kamala Khan that's has, so... like, a really, like, a large family, and mm-hmm. they have, like, interesting attitudes about her superhero career. And there was more of that in her show, to be fair. You got more sense yeah, of status quo in that. Um, but, uh, so that's really great, and you get a lot of uh, Monica Rambeau just mm-hmm. working for S.H.I.E.L.D., doing and, her job. Well, working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury, Tim yeah. L. Jackson's back in this movie. It's like his 15th one of these things. And yeah. um, he... Uh, all of his scenes take place on a, a single space station. Mm-hmm. And it's not huge. No. So every time we cut back to him, we're at a home base. Yeah. And I can't think of the last Marvel film I mm-hmm. that had that, where we kept on coming cutting back to a single location mm-hmm. that wasn't involved in the main action, that was kind of reporting on it and sort of reconnoitering a little bit. There's a certain sense uh, of like familiarity that comes with that that yeah. is actually good. It's yeah, not it's not it's, contemptible. Um, it's actually like it's it's grounding. Mm. 
Um, and so, I really like that about this movie. So the movie's 105 minutes. Uh, yeah. It has these like Is it really only 105? It's only 105 minutes. Oh and my god. It's, I think it's the shortest one in the series. Oh my god, I love um, it. <laughs> I know, no wonder so, it was so, it felt so the, brisk. Yeah, the, uh, the climax doesn't take 40 minutes. It's over and no. out in the right amount of time. Yeah. You, however, there are a lot of patches that make it feel really kind of shabby throughout. Um, oh, it definitely feels like studio we're, we're, note driven. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. like that wonderful scene on Captain Marvel's ship. Mm. Um, the, within certain scenes, everything's paced really well. Yeah. Cut from scene to scene, there's it feels like there's information missing. Like people yeah. are suddenly in another room. People mm-hmm. are are wearing different clothing in one set. There's like, a, there's, there's, there's there's like a, a major line of dialogue, like an important plot driving line of dialogue. Yeah. In like the, the climax, where the villain says something important, and Captain mm-hmm. Marvel will respond to it. And they clearly didn't get that line on the day. No, like the, the they, sound is really different. It's like it just sounds like she's another character mm-hmm. in another room, and that is really yeah. awkward and and when you they, know that happens there are like good movies oh yeah like like great movies that have like ADR moments right and that's something you factor into most movies but here there's there's like so much of them that it just feels like post-production was really rough on this one yeah I, I notoriously they, they reshot a lot of it for clarity yeah. glad they did um, yeah. but it still feels a little bit shoddy yeah but that evokes for me a lot of the B-movie science fiction movies I watched, like in the 1990s. Yeah. Uh, it, which, to me, even though those films are a little bit sloppy, mm. are a lot more charming yeah. and a lot more memorable than the ones that are, like, really slick and well-moneyed and, like, really meticulously edited. It's not, it's um, not like, so, like, sloppy that, it, like, a whole bunch of, like, personality comes out. Like, uh, mm. even though the one that had a bunch of post-production woes, Tank Girl. Oh yeah, but yeah. Tank Girl is a blast. Tank Girl is like yeah. full of personality and the relationship between I mean, it's, Lori it's, Petty and Naomi um, Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. I almost said Naomi Campbell. I mean, it's it's a bucket of glitter but... spilled on the ground. It's, oh yeah, yeah. It's, but, it's, it's, but it's but it's, it's a fun. Big mess. But it's got all that personality, mm-hmm. and that shines through despite the post production was. Uh, here, it, it it feels like the personality is all in the cast. Yeah, more than mm-hmm. anything else. It's directed by Nia DaCosta, who had done that you know really interesting Candyman requel. Yeah. Which you o- know, over- overwritten but interesting. Yeah, like full of ideas. You know, like it was. It was not like a half-assed studio. Like just throw out another Candyman mm-hmm. to capitalize on nostalgia or whatever like that. No, it was full of really big concepts and you know threw a lot at the wall. They didn't all land, but you know, ambitious. I I, I don't see as much of that here, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's. It's still there, yeah, overall pretty fun. There, there, there's not a lot of big ideas in no. this one. It's very simple. It's good for little mm. kids. Um, yeah. When you compare it, however, to like the monstrosities that came before it, it feels very separate. Mm. Uh, you mean like from like Quantum Mania or like or just any of the Marvel movies, really? Yeah, you know, okay. Going even you know the Iron Mans and your Black Panthers, all the rest, uh, even this, the good ones. Yeah, this this one feels. Um, it, it feels un- like really sealed off from the other ones. Not mm. uh, not in terms of story. They do try to link it all up. And it actually becomes the most tiresome when they try to do the usual Marvel shtick. It's like, yeah. oh, and cameo from another character. This might be in another future movie. I don't care. There's like, one that, cameo they, that... They, they wore, it th- wore it bare There's actually one ago, cameo but... that I think works because it was basically, oh, how do we solve this? This isn't really in our skill set. Well, we know other heroes, and we just call one, and that one shows up and was like, yeah, I can help with this one part. And then they leave. 
Oh, and, like, and that's just a, but it's just a cameo. It's just a cameo. Like there's that one bit. It wasn't like one of those cheer moments, like uh, no. in, in that recent Spider-Man movie where they put pauses in the movie. Yeah. for people to no, cheer. No, it just it made sense, and it was a good response to all those times. And I've said it too. It gets distracting the more you don't do it. Uh, all of these heroes are doing all of this hero shit. Where are the other heroes? Because mm. it's not like the comics where they're doing something every single week. Yeah. Like apparently Iron Man only had an adventure five times. <laughs> so he had the free time is my point. So yeah, but here, yeah, they, they resolve that. Why, how would we fix this? This is how neat. Hmm. Great. That Solved. Great. Wonderful. Got like a cameo. Yeah, nicely yeah, yeah. done. It's not, it doesn't so, cause much tension to itself. It makes sense. So I, I liked it. I, I liked I like it. it I liked it for its shabby qualities. Yeah. I liked it for its simplicity. I liked how unstreamlined it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and yes, at the end, there's going to be a mid-credit sequence where they're going to have yeah, a preview, it's a big a preview for another thing. I will say this. For all of the like post-credit sequences they've had in whatever fuck phase we were in right oh. now, uh, I can't remember another post-credit sequence that felt like it actually mattered as much as this one. Like There was a lot of them like, oh, and then uh, Harry Styles showed up. Well, I, oh yeah, like here, here, okay, like it doesn't really my, uh, felt important, you know. And here's here's where I go back to uh, the fact that Morbius was the turning point for all of this because mm-hmm. Morbius did it. Morbius did the crossover thing. Yeah, and they tied it into the bigger universe. Yeah, and it sucked. Yeah, it was it's the really, same. It's the same joke. Well, it felt really why, arbitrary why was, in that one. Yeah, in this one it actually there's there's a justification and there is an element. Mm-hmm. Without getting into it, I think it works better than Morbius, but. Mm-hmm. Regardless, this one feels like, okay, it's actually worth... I'm actually glad I stayed through the credits for it. Like, mm-hmm. that was actually meaningful. Um, but, yeah, overall, it's just it's just a solid superhero actioner. And I just mm-hmm. think the cast just nails it. Yeah, Tiana um, Paris is amazing. Um, yeah, Tiana Paris is really great. Yeah. Brie Larson plays Captain Marvel. She's really great. She's, yeah. she's actually, like... Like more human in this one than she was in Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, she was like kind of a cipher. Well, she, she had well, she had to play brainwashed like yeah. two thirds of the movie. It was There's actually a... a really bad way to introduce the characters to not let the character be the character yeah. for two thirds of the movie. And in, in that movie, the character was constantly told by other characters yeah. that she's being too emotional. But we never saw that. She wasn't yeah. an emotional character. No, it, she was actually a very stoic character. Yeah, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a particularly bad movie or anything like that, but it, it's not a particularly good screenplay is the no. problem. And that really lets it down. And uh, yeah. here, I think she's given a little bit more character. She can actually yeah. be a little bit more vulnerable and conversational with other people she can talk to. It, uh, and, and of course, the big star is Iman Villani, who plays Ms. Marvel. She's uh, and she, wonderful. She's totally comfortable with this. Yeah. She's really funny. Yeah. She, she's frightened most of the time, or and she, like, <laughs> fangirls out a lot because she's a big Mar- uh, Captain Marvel fan. That's uh-huh. why she's called Ms. Marvel. Uh but not to like a grating or artificial degree. She makes it feel really organic. And that's the that's the secret here because like that that type of character could be annoying. Mm. You know they, they, they oh we're the junior Ghostbusters. No mm. one likes you, junior Ghostbusters. That was on the real Ghostbusters animated series. Um, no, she she's a fan because in this universe people would be. Mm. But she's also capable and emotional and rich and. 
the characters actually she, bring she's out actually the like, best in each other in like, a nice, positive way. You know, like it feels these, feels like everyone's a better person by the end of it. These characters display something that we don't usually see in superhero movies, and that's heroism. Yeah, they're actually like brave and courageous people. I really like how, in, like, in a way that's just kind of fun to watch. Like the idea of Captain Marvel as this sort of larger than life ideal, specifically to Ms. Marvel, but also it's like the people on planets that she's saved. Mm. Uh, the uh, sort of important place she plays in Monica Rambeau's life as not Ms. Marvel but her aunt mm-hmm. she's been it, it's it's kind of an extension of the first film and I actually think that's rather clever in that people keep projecting onto her and it's all about finding out who she really is and who other people really are and how you know your ideal of heroism is something that you need to constantly live up to but you can do it like it's not like bitter or cynical about it it's just about how you know Ms. Marvel can be as heroic as Captain Marvel. Uh, Monica Rambeau can be a superhero, even though she doesn't see herself that way. And Ms. Marvel can actually do something as great as people think she is. And this brings me to the other thing I like about the movie. Um, I've talked about this ad nauseum uh, before, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of villains out there who have motivations that involve... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that involve, get, get like, fixing the environment or solving overpopulation, and they're trying, always going about it the wrong way. Well, trying trying to make the villains uh, relatable and give them, like, noble goals that they're simply executing incorrectly right. or unethically. And, and that can be interesting, at least theoretically that's interesting, mm-hmm. but the problem is, is twofold. Uh, one, if you do that too many times, you end up demonizing actually noble causes, because that's the only representation they have in these stories of heroism. You don't see a lot of heroes taking time out of their day to do environmental causes. Mm-hmm. Tony Stark sure as fuck didn't. Um, but then the other thing is that, okay, we'll defeat Thanos, but then we'll do nothing to actually solve the real problem mm-hmm. that justified his villainy. We won't actually prove that his villainy was unjustified fact, they, by doing something about it. They never do. They, they've... So the, the big plot point in the Marvel Universe is mm. they wiped out half of the, the universe, waited five years, and then resurrected them all instantaneously. Yeah. Um, and there have been some stories that deal with that, but there's things lurking in the back that they haven't addressed. In uh, Quantumania, mm-hmm. they talk about how that actually caused like a massive housing crisis on Earth. Yeah. Oh, you know, okay. it, that, that's addressed that? also in the uh, Cap, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier series as well. Oh, okay. I thought a bit about that, yeah. Yeah, but we don't see Ant-Man building housing for the homeless no hank pym can afford it what the hell what are we doing like it's it these Uh, are actual acts of heroism these people can do that they're not doing they've resurrected half of the universe and now we're in a movie where there's like refugees looking for a place to live yeah did anybody put those things together at all (laughs) so here we have a villain who is justifiably taking captain marvel to task for doing something captain marvel thought was heroic and maybe in itself was but not actually caring enough to have any follow-through and actually help the Kree people emerge from that and actually, like, you know, not destroy their world. Mm. And at the end of the movie, you know, without going into any particular detail, Captain Marvel has to actually do something about it. It actually falls to Captain Marvel to solve a, like pro- she, a real she, problem. She remembered that the, the villain had a problem and yeah. she addresses it at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's not about just like, oh, we have to stop Zawe Ashton from doing this evil thing. Yeah, but they were doing an evil thing for a reasonable cause, 
So we have to do something about that cause. And Captain Marvel does. Which is more heroic <laughs> than the majority of Marvel movies. And there are exceptions to that rule. Mm-hmm. But the majority. I like that. That yeah. felt heroic to me. Now, I, I don't want to oversell this. No. But I, I do want to say that, that this is... Like functions better as a superhero movie mm-hmm. than a lot of the last fifteen years of superhero movies, which have been mm-hmm. a little fixated on spectacle and interconnectivity. That's like the one joke they have is yeah. that these characters are going to get together at some point. What are they going to do? The same thing. They're just going to yeah. fly around and, and hurt people. Yeah. Here they get um, together and it's fun. Yeah, yeah. They actually get to spend a lot of time together. And they then, grow together as people. Great. So yeah, when, when we get that cameo at the end of the movie and I'm, yeah. like, I'm not going to say who it is but yeah. um, there's a post-credit there's scene there's a post-credit yeah. scene you, you know it's in there um, yeah. and all of these post-credit scenes have the same joke the same punchline yeah there's a new character they're going to show up in another movie yeah and what are they going to do that, that other movie I don't know, fight a guy. Stuff. It doesn't yeah, feel like um, there's a lot of promise when they show up like when Charlize yeah. Theron showed up at the end of Multiverse of Madness oh yeah oh uh, is that going to change anything? Is oh, that going to... Adju- oh, look, it's Google, 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 Thea. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Clea. Oh, it's Clea. You're Clea. right. Yeah. Clea. I had to explain Clea. to someone like what something Dr. was Strange's at the end of this movie. The 70s, yeah. Literally, the movie ended and there's like an element of like the, the... There's an element of like the post credit scene that's really obvious, an element that isn't. And literally someone just turned around like two seats mm. away from me and just said, Hey, Bibbs, what was up with that? And I was like, okay. Uh, here's Let me explain the Wikipedia page. Yeah, basically. So, well, I'm talking about Ms. Mar- uh, the Marvels, but oh. yeah. Yeah, so there's an element of that. But um, yeah, but yeah, it also like, okay, kind of wraps up well as a movie. There, there's this character. It's like the, the only promise we're getting now is, oh, that, that character and maybe other characters are now going to be part of the MCU. Yeah. I'm done. We're done. We don't yeah. need that anymore. Yeah. Can we instead have movies mm-hmm. like the Marvels which just wrap up nicely. Yeah. And don't need to be part of this interconnected universe anymore. Yeah. Because Wait, it's time again, for this shit to die. The, the breaking of the status quo and doing something bigger uh-huh. only works if there is a status quo. Exactly. The reason yeah. why it was so... I, I think the reason why they were able to like make the first Avengers movie work so well for so many people when that was an experiment that really hadn't been done very much before... Uh, was because, and, and Universal Monsters is another good example of this, where they did the exact same thing. Every character had their own movie first. Mm. And it was self-contained. It actually bothered to introduce that character and make the audience care about them. We cared about Cats America going in. We cared about Iron Man going in. We cared about Thor going in. And so when they met, it was like, oh, that's awesome. But here, there's just so many characters and they're getting just shoved so in that, I'm, I'm sorry, is there going to be a movie where, or a scene where, like, Hercules meets Starflox? Right. I don't give a shit. We met them for two seconds. Like, it's that's not exciting hmm. that Hercules and Starfox are showing up. It's exciting when something exciting happens. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. But, um, but yeah, no, the Marvels. Uh, again, it, it's not like top-tier superhero cinema, but it's better than a lot of them lately. Yeah, I had a really enjoyable time the it, entire it, way through. It's a, it's a it's, mid-tier movie, yeah, it's which, sloppy, which but it's, makes it, for me, just a lot more endearing than, yeah. than the top-tier movies. If you, if, all you, if you expect every fucking movie to be monumental, mm-hmm. um, who, then they who can't, cares? Well, they can't while, do yeah. that. That becomes the norm. That becomes boring. You actually have to mix it up, and I think this movie does that uh, pretty well. Uh, let's talk about a very different tonal shift 
Uh, but we both saw David Fincher's The Killer. We did. Uh, which has nothing to do with the John Woo movie, The Killer, by the way. Other no, than they're both about hitmen. It's a pretty uh, generic title. Um, yeah. Yeah, The Killer. Um, David Fincher uh, directing a film that's in theaters and on Netflix simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, based on is, a comic book. It, oh, is it? I yeah, didn't it, know it was based on a comic yeah, book. I think it's, like, but, I think but it's a French comic book or Belgian or something. Just like with uh, several other David Fincher movies, we're looking at kind of a, a really cool, vaguely villainous character mm-hmm. and encouraged for a lot of the movie to think that they are just set a kind of cool and aspirational mm. and slowly realizing, wait a minute, this person is like horrible. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of Fight Club. I'm thinking of Gone yeah. Girl. Um, sure. And uh, The Killer, it stars uh, Michael Fassbender. Who I always want to call him Fassbender, like the German yeah. director. Um, Michael Fassbender plays an assassin, and at first you think his life is cold and steely and cool, uh, mm. kind of like the conversation. He spends a lot of the early scenes, like right at the beginning, yeah. narrating what life like an assassin is like, staying in this little room, peering out a window, waiting for his opportunity to, to make his kill. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's there's a lot of voiceover like in the the show Burn Notice, like okay. when, when you're a killer, you do this. And, yeah. you know, all, and he has like a set of rules he always abides by. He, in a, a rather hilarious joke, he's actually hiding out in like a disused WeWork. Like yeah. that, that's that's what he, he's. He says, like, you know, this is the modern world. It can't be unseen, so make yourself really uninteresting. And throughout the first, like, half of the movie, you get to sort of see him move from location to location. He uh, he botches the first hit, by the way. That's mm-hmm. where, where the plot gets going. It's uh, one of those kind movies of where the hitman botches kind of, the hit and everyone goes after the hitman. Yeah, hit man, kind of yeah. Kind of spends the rest of the movie on the run. Um, there's never a moment where he gets to stop and have the James Bond moment where it's like, ah, all of my ill-gotten riches have provided me this life of luxury. No. It's like, no, he wears boring clothes. Yeah. He he talks about how McDonald's is the ideal meal because it's just the protein you need to keep going. Yeah, it's just efficiency. Yeah. His whole he life is built around efficiency. Really, yeah, it's, he's efficient, it's really boring, and you can see in these early scenes that he's still talking about himself as if there's something like kind of sexy or romantic about what he does. Really? That's what you yeah. got from this? Cause I that's didn't what I got from that. this. I didn't get that well, at all. Well, here's the thing. Um, when he fin- when he's on the run yeah. and he finally has to start dealing with the people who hire him, mm-hmm. he begins to see that there's really no bottom to the emptiness and depravity of the world he lives in. It's sort mm-hmm. of about his coming to terms with the fact that, oh wait, he's not, doing anything kind of noble he's not his 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 stoicness is not something to be aspired to mm-hmm. that it's actually just another element of other people's emptiness he, he starts to yeah. feel like a vestigial tool after a while. well he is a vestigial tool yeah. and i think that's that's what the, the film i think is largely getting at is the idea of even like a hitman someone with a job that is like you'd think would be fundamentally interesting uh, is boring. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, he, it, it involves a lot of, you know, long, boring days. Like, the opening sequence is him staring out a window for days. And he says, you cannot do this job if you don't mind being bored. Yeah. Because it's just being patient, waiting for a moment, taking your moment, and then going away. And that's why your thought about, like, how that character is supposed to think they're, like, cool, mm. that kind of weirds me out. Because that is not the impression I got at all from the character or the film. I thought the whole point was that he is just 
a boring professional. Yeah, and well, that's that's something that I think makes it. But here's more the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, that idea of like the killer is just a boring professional is already romanticized in movies like The Mechanic. Or, yeah, uh, you in know, there's, those other movies, not or, this one, or, or even something like John Wick, which of course is very oh. florid comparatively. But um, well, I, the movie uh, I kept thinking about when I was watching this was uh, Melville's Le Samurai, mm-hmm. which was also about a, a hitman and sort of you know here's what it's like to be a modern hitman, and it's something kind of stylish and sexy, but it's also very lonely and right. very efficient, and it's just all about the mechanics of doing this job. Here, you know, the mechanics of doing the job of a hitman is, it's affected by the modern day, and I think that's kind of interesting to try to show the way that, like, Amazon Mm. really is useful for hitmen. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you can just get something delivered to a, you can get any tool whatsoever delivered to a locker near you anonymously in a day. (laughs) Like, that's incredibly useful. Mm. And some of the stuff they sell there is, like, kind of only useful for crime, so that works out great. Like, uh, it's it's interesting, know. though, that you should compare this to The Samurai. Yeah. Because Jean-Pierre Melville uh, in that film, it's a great movie, by the way. Oh, wonderful um, film. He, he goes well out of his way mm. to make those guys as fucking sexy as possible. Exactly. They wear the nice suits. Yeah. They got the nice hats. Like they, They're constantly posing. Yeah. They're aware they're being watched. Exactly. Um, the, That's the difference. The film I would compare it to mm. is Brasson's Pickpocket. Okay. Uh, have you yeah. seen Brasson's Pickpocket? We, we did yeah. a podcast about it once. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's a brilliant film. Um, it's about pickpockets. Yeah. And how fucking boring that life is. Mm-hmm. They have these really refined skills. To do it well, it's just yeah. repetition. And, and Over and over. And there's this balance between, we're going to do this thing, we're going to develop these skills, and it's always exciting to watch movies about people who are really good at something. Yes. Uh, whether or not you like it. You know, really yeah. skilled killers. Yeah. Still exciting to watch a movie about. No, seriously, uh, any job, if someone is articulate about it mm-hmm. and you can see them just do that job, just look at any documentary about someone doing an odd job. Yeah. You can just get really wrapped up in it because to them it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Or to them it's their it's their life and you can just get totally absorbed. Watch Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, by the way. I was yeah. just thinking about Fast, <laughs> Cheap, and Out of Control. Exactly. So, uh, Errol, Errol Morris documentary yeah. from the 90s. Wonderful film. Just I love it. exclusively um, about people who have weird jobs. Yeah. Uh, Topiary Gardner, Naked Mole Rat, Specialist, a robotics engineer, and... Um, Oh, who's the fourth guy? I thought that was it. Is there, is there a fourth one? Yeah, it was... Uh, Topiary... Uh, insects? No, it's the mole rat guy. Oh, it's the mole rat yeah, guy, I guess. Insects. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, yeah but well, um, no, I guess there's another one. I'll look that up. But yeah, um, it, it's so watching something like Pickpocket, the Brasson movie, mm-hmm. you're tempted to be fascinated by their life because yeah. they're really good at it and they're really um, wild animal tamer. Well, that's right. He's a lion tamer. Yeah. Um, and I feel. Uh, when you're watching sort of these people who are sort of laying out their skills for you, like mm. you're, you're being drawn into their world, but Brisson is especially good because Brisson's, well, Brisson's one of the best, yeah. best filmmakers ever, um, is able to lay all that out in a fascinating cinematic way while also communicating to the audience that this is actually a really banal life. And it's yeah. actually really not good for them or exciting at all. Yeah, the, the there's, superficial there's of, attractiveness of so it is I, I just like a, a mask. David yeah. Fincher is a really stylish filmmaker. Yeah. He's always been. Uh, this is one of his more grounded films. It's almost Soderberghian yeah. in how like kind of banal his settings are. There's like car lockers and garages and boring rooms. Yeah. Um, 
he uses that style at the beginning of the movie to make the assassin seem like he's like this really interesting steely character yeah and it's only over the course of the movie where we live in his world for a while and he's just like staying in truck stops and sleeping in cars and just yeah doesn't have an interesting life no that we start to see that type of cinematic cliche yeah the excitement of a, somebody who's good at their job get completely stripped away yeah when you actually especially, see yeah. the entirety of that job. yeah and especially when he starts to meet the, like the people who usually hire him or like are his in-betweens yeah I, um, there's there's a like three notable characters he's gonna meet yeah uh, like he caused to fly around the world i, I and, guess um, four technically because there's like there's like a boss there's two other assassins and this. oh yeah it's okay. technically four so so yeah it's gonna go throughout the movie like sort of meeting these characters and with each meeting you you see him sort of like falling out of his element further and further it's like yeah. I don't connect to these people who are supposed to hire we're not part of this exciting network there's no community there's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not, I actually have nothing in common with these people no and I, I look at this movie as sort of an interesting extrapolation mm. of the isolation of the gig economy where mm. so many of us mm-hmm. are doing jobs, full-time jobs, jobs that take up all of our time and our energy and yeah. our mental focus, uh, but we're alone, and we're looking at a screen, and we're doing so much of it remotely, and things are just getting shipped to us, and it's all important. It all is affecting things and changing the world, but it's really only benefiting a very small number of people, mm. and we're all just minor cogs in that machine, but now we're completely disassociated from each other, and nothing we do connects to another human being anymore. Yeah. And I think in a... I, I don't know how much David Fincher was actively getting at this, because he never really puts a button on it, but I think at its best, the killer approaches a certain level of observational profundity about what working is like. In the 2020s, <laughs> yeah, yeah. through the the lens of a job, which you know, and the in John Wick is fucking awesome from beginning to end. Even when it's tragic, it's huge, and here it's boring as shit, but in a fascinating way. I I, I hesitate because the job is boring, the movie is not. Yeah, and I was actually really captivated by it the entire uh, uh, time. I think it's an excellent film. It, it story wise, it hits some very familiar beats, but. I was reminded of what a comics writer, Paul Jenkins, uh, wrote once. He wrote some Spider-Man comics for a while. Right. And some there was a bit of a criticism of his work where he was kind of doing some familiar stories. Like, he wasn't, like, pushing it forward. It's like, oh, you're doing these kinds of Spider-Man stories, and that's been done. And his argument was, yeah, but they've I've never done them. <laughs> so sometimes just having a new storyteller tell the same story can be really illuminating. Or it can just put a slightly different spin on it that hopefully reframes the entire conversation. And while, you know, there I think there are definite antecedents to the killer, including John Woo's The Killer, mm. including Le Samurai, including Pickpocket, including a whole bunch of films about just criminals in their element, I think this is a really good addition. And I really like it a lot. And yeah, it's one of my favorite Fincher films in a bit. So yeah, I, I really I, liked it a lot. I, I tend to like Fincher, although mm-hmm. he's made a couple duds. I, I, I don't like his girl with the dragon tattoo. I'm not no. fond of Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button, I don't um, think works. Yeah. I, didn't, I thought Mank was overblown. And, and yeah, and Mank is just yeah. just a straight up bad movie. Yeah, but you know, all things considered, that's even those are ambitious failures. Yeah, uh, if you even think they're failures, and I would, but like, yeah, he's an ambitious filmmaker. He tries exciting things and I think the thing about Fincher is I I remember when Fincher won the MTV Movie Award for Seven 
It was best picture of the year. <laughs> All right. And uh, he got up there on the stage and accepted the award. And he said, you know, when I made this movie, people said, oh, you're just making an MTV movie. And he said, and I, and I said to them, well, what's wrong with that? I look at a lot of Fincher's work, and I think Fincher is actually at his best when he's just a genre storyteller. When he is putting his own spin on different types of genres, like the paranoid uh, thriller genre in The Game, or the sort of lurid airplane novel in Gone yeah, Girl, yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, sort of the true crime serial killer thriller in Zodiac. Uh, and here he's putting a spin on the, ser- on the hitman genre, and I think it's very excellent, and, and I like it a lot. I hope people see it. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? Oh, let's see. What do we What do we got here? We got, um, so let's see. You saw one, two... I, I, I think I, we both saw... T- uh, wait, I saw one, two... I guess yeah. I saw three and you saw two. All right. Yeah. Well, why don't you go first since you saw more? Okay, fine. Uh, why don't I get started with uh, the new film Dream Scenario, which is about some sort of dream scenario. It's about Nicolas Cage. Yes. Yeah. And Nicholas Cage. And people are dreaming about him. Yeah, Nicholas Cage plays a very boring guy. He's a professor of biology at a, a no-name college. Like right. it's not a bad college. It's not like you know mm-hmm. the college from community or anything like that. But it's not Harvard. It's not highly respected. Um, he's pretty good at his job, but he's never published anything. No one gives a shit. Uh, he's married. He has a couple of kids. Their life is drab. Mm. Not bad, but drab. Uh, and then he discovers gradually that a lot of people all over the world who've never met him, who've never seen a picture of him, are dreaming about him. He's showing up in people's dreams, and he's not even doing anything. He's just standing there. They're having their own dream, and Nicolas Cage is just there going, huh, like watching the events unfold. Just he's in their dreams. Standing yeah. There. And then it's enough people who know him start doing it that they start recognizing it and they start talking about how weird it is and they find out other people are having that same dream and it turns out people are having that type of dream. Oh, not everybody, but a lot of people all over the world simultaneously. Mm. And that gives him celebrity. That gives him that makes him noteworthy. People start attending his class. He's interviewed on CNN. How do they find this out? That well, is well about at first, uh, people start. Well, his daughter mentions at first that you're in my dreams and you're just sort of not doing anything, and he's weirded out by that. And then people start like kind of recognizing, like, do I know you? Okay. And then uh, he has an ex girlfriend who just runs into him randomly and says, "I've been dreaming about you." And I thought I wanted to kind of write about this. I'm a writer. I have a blog, and she writes about that. That blog gets around a little bit, and then enough people read it, recognize what's going on, respond, find him on social media, and then it blows up. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, initially it seems like things are pretty good. Yeah, a little noteworthy celebrity. It seems pretty. It's weird. Nobody can explain it, but it seems harmless. Uh, he starts. Uh, teaming up with a uh, publicity firm run by Michael Sarah, who's quite funny in this. Right. And they're trying to like, okay, we've got an idea. What if we do a, an advertising campaign where you're holding a Sprite and then people might dream of Sprite. <laughs> and he's like, I just want to publish my book about ants. Okay, maybe later, but let's talk about the Sprite thing right now. And then... 
something happens, things go really, really wrong. His like he has like this incredibly embarrassing, humiliating moment. I won't ruin what happens, mm. but um, it's maybe it's the best scene in the movie. Um, and then something happens, and it's not one hundred percent clear how it's connected. But all of a sudden, people go from having these incredibly passive dreams of Nicolas Cage to having nightmares about Nicolas Cage. Oh, like he's attacking them. Now. Like yeah, literally attacking them, right. killing them, doing horrible things, sometimes worse. And now people are afraid of him. They don't want to go to his class. Okay. They're not comfortable with him being at work. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Yeah, and now it's, they're it's like, like it's like a Freddy Krueger thing. Now. Yeah, they yeah. Think, yeah, he's but he's not intentionally doing it. Hmm. And so people have to have, like, you know, HR needs to get involved and be like, okay, we're just going to have Nicolas Cage. He's not playing Nicolas Cage, but I can't remember the character's name. We're just going to have Nicolas Cage stand way over at the other end of this of this gymnasium. All right? He's cool. He's there. He's just, he's not the person in your nightmare. He's fine. Just standing over there. Now, why don't you come just a couple of steps closer? And if anyone has any problems with it, we'll get, okay. Now, why don't you come a couple of steps? Ah! <laughs> The idea behind the film is so fascinating. Uh-huh. Like this, this suddenly wandering into people's dreams, and it's one of those like kind of like That's Charlie Kaufman esque. Yeah, I was gonna say. Know, um, I'm, it, it's one of those screenplays that reminds me of the film Wiener Dog. Yeah, where uh, the Danny DeVito character, yeah. uh, his best screenwriting advice is, uh, "What if? Then what?" Yeah, so, hey, which yeah. is ask a what up, if question and then say what, what would happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and it also seems like something that. It's difficult to end. Like, how, yeah, how, how do they come I, up with an ending? Well, I'm saying, here's the, and here's it's a the fun problem. concept. Here's the problem with well, the movie. The, story? Yeah. the acting is good. Nicholas Cage is really great. He's always great, even in bad movies. Um, the premise is, you know, it kind of enchants the brain. You come up with, like, concepts. What does this mean? How does this extrapolate? How will this continue in a narrative? Uh, and it's also one of those ideas that really could have a lot of different meanings. You know, mm. a lot of different themes. And I think in the best films of this ilk um, it doesn't really solidify around only one interpretation and there's a lot of different ways you can approach the material either uh, as an audience member or yeah. as a critic or whatever and you know it, it just sort of encompasses a lot of different possibilities and this is the problem with Dream Scenario because Dream Scenario very early on calls its shot and says because like, at the beginning of the movie when uh, the Dream thing comes out people are in his class one of the kids in his class yells, what's it like going viral? And from that point on, everything is codified. Mm. This is a metaphor for becoming a meme. Okay. That's it. Oh. That's, that's really that's all there is to it. Yeah. It is. It's so much less interesting. By making it, and they repeat this over and over again. There's like multiple ways in which this comes about, like the memification of it. Um, and then it becomes about cancel culture and all this kind of stuff. It just becomes about what happens when you accidentally become famous online. What happens when mm-hmm. you're Twitter's main character for the day? Yeah. What does that do to your life? And yeah, I'm not there are saying movies directly about that. There's a lot yeah, of movies. We about don't that need that a that metaphor way. for that. That's actually just like that's that's not so giant a concept that we need this elaborate mm-hmm. metaphor. The elaborate metaphor raises more possibilities than the movie is willing to do because the movie congeals around the most obvious interpretation and it just keeps spoon feeding you this as uh, though it's as though it's still clever and I'm like no really mention it once yeah. and then mention something else mm-hmm. talk about other ways this can be relevant talk about other ways this can be interesting go in a different direction at some point and mm-hmm. it just if, if you took out the dream thing and this is just about like how a random picture of this guy became a meme mm-hmm. and then it got kind of corrupted and like I don't know. Like he became like a bad guy because like maybe the picture maybe was like like, a, like, like the alt right found it or like turned it into maybe, their thing. Imagine like a, a gentle comic strip about a frog, yeah. perhaps that then becomes 
so uh, uh, taken over by racists that the, that image of that frog that you created is now a, like a, an accepted like in like hate tones. symbol yeah. like people that's that's codified as a symbol of hate. That's not what you intended. That's an actual. Th- What's that? What was the documentary called? It's called Feels Good Man. Yeah, th- it's that basically. Mm. But it, this time there's like a fantastical element. I recommend Feels Good Man. That's yeah. a great documentary. So like you know it's not a waste or anything like that but it feels like this might have been like stronger as a short film if you were only going to have one bullet point to it okay that because as a film I just feel like it never really comes together right. bit of a bummer uh, but tell me about uh, tell me about Priscilla Priscilla yes not not the one that's queen of the desert this is no Priscilla. slightly different Priscilla um, no this is uh, Priscilla Presley um, hmm. This is Sophia Coppola's latest film. It's a biography of Priscilla Presley and her marriage to Elvis Presley. You might remember as... from the movie Elvis as a character who showed up for two scenes. <laughs> she's barely in that movie. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. She's really that's not right. in it she, very she's much. She's not in it very much because that, that's that's Elvis. This is Priscilla. This is from her perspective. Yeah. And uh, because this is Sophia Coppola, we're going to have a lot of living living in a uh, well-moneyed, glamorous life, mm. and how lonely that is. She's mm-hmm. made several films about that. Uh, that's what Marie Antoinette is about. Yep. That's what Lost in Translation is largely about. That's what yeah. that film uh, Somewhere is about. Oh, very um, much about that, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah just... Being a famous person with a lot of money is, like, the loneliest place you can live. Or being related to them. Yeah. 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 Um, I-, I wonder what Sofia Coppola knows about that firsthand. If only if there was yeah, some way of, only... of, 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 like... I, I, wonder, I, I wonder why she's interested in movies about this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, movies about... Um, oh, I just realized there was a linking material because Nicolas Cage is actually Nicolas Coppola. Oh, that's right. And he he's, changed he's, his name. He's a Coppola, yeah. And he changed his name to Nicolas Cage because... Oh, we got some Thank you, car. Noisy traffic. Uh, yes, you have a very large car. Uh, a little honk as well, just like a little bit. Boop. Um, I don't know if you can hear all that. But uh, no, Nicolas Cage changed his name to Nicolas uh, Cage because he didn't want to be... It's, associated know, with, with the Coppola he's going to have that guide his whole career and he changed his last name to Cage because he was a fan of the comic book character Luke Cage so it's all coming together oh my god it's another Marvel thing yeah. alright so everything's overlapping uh, point being Priscilla Presley had superpowers she could fire blasts from her fists <laughs> No, um, no. This is actually a, a very mellow, gentle, in that Sofia Coppola sort of way um, biopic about uh, how Priscilla Presley met Elvis when she was 14 years old. She, uh, her family was stationed in Germany at mm-hmm. the time when Elvis was uh, conscripted conscripted into the army. Yeah, if you remember that part of Elvis's career, and that's yep. in Baz Luhrmann's movie. Um, and evidently, Elvis Presley, already a big celebrity, uh, wanted to talk to Americans. Mm-hmm. Some Americans on the army base. I uh, want to talk to American girls. American here's here's high a fourteen-year-old. Yeah. Hmm. Look, hmm. Uh, the fetishization of teenagers, especially teenage girls in this country, is something that like has only like come under like intense scrutiny like kind of recently. Well, it was in, in the we, mainstream. We let it slide for so damn long in this. There were always people calling that Woody how bad Allen that made was, a movie but, yeah. about how he had an affair with a high school girl and that was just kind of okay. People did uh, not have a problem with Manhattan no, for a really a long really time. A really long time and that movie was made in the early 80s. Like we were still doing that. It might have been uh, in 79 actually. 79 was it? Manhattan? Oh, that's around there. I thought it was 80. Oh, okay. uh, it was around there. Anyway. No, it was around there. Point, point is, um, wh- 
was Elvis a creep? No, it was seventy nine. Seventy nine. You were yeah. right. I apologize. Yeah. Um, Close enough. When uh, so yeah, when Elvis Presley, who's in his early twenties, is uh, wooing a fourteen year old girl, mm-hmm. that was just a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, going after teenagers, and the way, it, and it's all told from her perspective. And Sofia Coppola is really good about making sure we're seeing how sort of flustered and excited she was as a young girl mm. to get any kind of romantic attention from Elvis Presley. He's like yeah. one of the biggest stars in the world. Oh yeah, he already was. And yeah. in the movie, he's played by an actor named Jacob Elordi, who's uh, one of the Euphorias. And um, and and he's like genetically constructed in a lab to be like the hottest man alive. Mm-hmm. Like he's so good looking in this movie. So you get it. You get why she's sort of lured into this. You understand when he says, uh, if I'd like you to stay out late with me, but if you have some trouble in school the next day, just take a pill. Have one of these pills. And she's like, oh, fine. What? What is it? Yeah, it's just sort of like a, a pet pill. Take it. <laughs> and you, you know, Jesus. we know, of course, <laughs> Elvis and pills. Yeah, well, that, uh, that was more later, but yeah. But I don't know, it was like throughout. And, you know, no, I know, but like later like a, a in his career. damning addiction later on. I know, like, like, yeah, to a point, it became a more of an addiction later yeah, on. As well. um, uh, and we uh, we sort of get to see how she's like, I need, uh, he trusts me. I'm in love with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also how, how he's not really creeping on her. It's like, I'd like you to stay over with me. I'd like you to stay in bed. And they kiss but we can't let things get too far. I want to be honorable about this. And she finds that to be kind of an attractive quality of his. Mm -hmm. And this is all from his perspective. So, or from her perspective. So it's one of those things where the, like the kind of foul behavior of Elvis Presley doesn't really start to emerge to the audience until she sees it. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. Oh, well, there's, unless your audience has, well, strong opinions but and, you and know. i think you need to have like a working knowledge of elvis and his history and what he was all about to really kind of get into yeah. this movie i think it's pretty well known at this point it's part of like the pop culture lore of, I think most of people have elvis. a general sense of elvis especially we just had the buzz lerman film Which last is a year hit. Which so, huge. Yeah. Yeah. so if you've seen that you'll know what's going on in this movie yeah. it's it's it, although that movie really lost. skimmed over the 60s yeah, like the whole yeah. '60s is just a montage, basically. Well, and that's where we get to here. Yeah, this uh, is where that he, was, bit, yeah. he he wanted to be a serious actor. Why don't I get better scripts? But then we also get to see him fly into a rage. Evidently, Elvis had a really horrible temper, and he would throw chairs across the room. Um, there's a, a a bit in this movie that I didn't know about Elvis, where oh. he actually wanted to get into because this is the mid '60s uh, LSD and Eastern spiritualism. And he was mm-hmm. reading these philosophy books, and he was reading to Priscilla in bed. It's like. Mm-hmm. Please put the books down. Yeah. I, I just can we please just have sex? You know, it's, <laughs> there's uh, a there's actually a movie one of Elvis's actually one of his worst movies, which is saying something. Hmm. Uh, I, was, I was the one where he's a deep sea diver looking for treasure, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, you could be making that up. No, but I'm not. There's a scene in that movie, and apparently Elvis was getting into uh, yoga, hmm. which was starting to become more trendy because of that you know yeah. that trend, uh, and apparently. Uh, the movie was Easy Come, Easy Go, nineteen sixty-seven. The his his manager, the the, the Colonel, the Colonel. I almost said yeah. the Captain. Yeah, the Colonel. Apparently, he he had he was in, instrumental in getting a scene added to the movie where he like wanders into a yoga class and Elsa Lanchester is like the head of the yoga class, and it just 
mercilessly makes fun of yoga. <laughs> and now he's, he's permanently associated with bringing yoga down, man. God. Luckily, we haven't heard from yoga ever since. Um, <laughs> God. Sorry, but, I watched uh, every Elvis movie. It needs to come up once in a while. I need to but, justify yeah, we, that we, time we, commitment. We slowly get to see sort of how Elvis came to control this teenager that he yeah. was living with. Saying things like, oh, don't wear that pattern. That color is better on you. Dye your hair this way. And she goes along with it because she's really young. Yeah. And after a while, she realizes this is really lonely and terrible. Mm-hmm. He's going on tour a lot or he's doing all these films and all these headlines come back about how he's had an affair with Aunt Margaret. How does that make her feel? Pretty pretty shitty is how yeah. it makes her feel. Uh, and there's, there's a story that Elvis uh, mm-hmm. said that he slept with every single one of his leading ladies mm-hmm. except one. And, and he wouldn't name who. And there so, was a whole so thing. So everyone had everyone plausible could, deniability. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually, like, I think after he died. I think Anne Margaret said, oh, No, yeah. it was Mary Tyler Moore. Mar- well, no, Mar- Anne Margaret, I think, said, Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, Mary Tyler Moore said we did, but Mary Tyler Moore said, Yeah, I was the one who turned him down, and she said, I regretted it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot in this movie that's devoted to Elvis being with the guys. Yeah. Evidently, uh, he spent a lot of time around Graceland firing guns in the backyard, tearing down houses, playing football, just sort of roughhousing. And we see this very kind of predictable pattern emerge. She's meant to be the dutiful wife at home. Yeah. Just to be there for him when he comes home. You gotta be there mm-hmm. for me, baby. She's property. Come home. She's pro- yeah, she's property. And what are you doing on the road? Having sex with Lord knows how many women yeah. on the road. Um, doing whatever I want whatever he wants so yeah we get to sort of see Elvis as this really monstrous character yeah and uh, the movie is about how uh, Priscilla comes to realize that like what drew her into Elvis the circumstances of how she was really kind of too too young to know better and uh, how she eventually kind of after a long time, it was like nearly 20 years, I believe, they were together. Uh, yeah, they were yeah. together a long time. She said she stuck with it. And she's like, no, I, I can't uh, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I, I just can't be with Elvis any longer. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had a child together, Lisa Marie Presley, who passed away earlier this year. Yep. Um, was it only this year? Or, or it's it's very re- recently. It's pretty recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus. Yeah, Lisa Marie Presley has passed away. Uh, Priscilla gave, it's based on her... Uh, her autobiography and she's an executive producer so she approved of everything in the movie Mm. Um, from what I understand Lisa Marie got an early look at the script she didn't get to see the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, but she didn't like the script she didn't like what Sofia Coppola was going to do yeah the the Elvis estate is very protective of him obviously and and Lisa Marie didn't have a very easy go of it like she I think she was separating from her husband when the script came into her hands Mm -hmm. Uh, her son had recently passed away tragically uh, so yeah, she uh, she said, "Don't don't slander my dad. I can't stand that." Anymore. Yeah. Um, but the way Priscilla saw it, mm-hmm. and that's all this movie is concerned with, was pretty much a bad marriage to a famous dude who yeah. was not a good guy, and was scattered and uh, capricious and occasionally violent and abused mm-hmm. drugs and brought her into drugs and partied too hard, uh, and just wasn't wasn't really focused. I think that's really notable that there's no Elvis music in this movie. Yeah. Well, we're not, they, we're they, not, they, would, they would let him have it. Well, they but... wouldn't, A, they wouldn't let him have it, but I think it's it's wise not to do that because it separates Elvis from what made him famous, which was his music. Yeah. Uh, and it also we, prevents the audience from like getting swept up in it yeah, as well. We, yeah, like we can't be dazzled by what he did. Here he is yeah. as a man, and he was a terrible man. And Priscilla is a really kind of 
very low key uh, mm. movie about a, a bad marriage to a terrible man. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if this sheds any new light on you know, on well, Elvis because I think a lot of this stuff was really known about Elvis at this point. There, there are people who aren't comfortable with their idols being tarnished, mm. um, which is why I'm, I'm like I'm very okay with a movie like this because like I feel like Elvis's legend is very well printed. Yeah, you know, well, like the, the the Baz Luhrmann film I think is perfectly fine to have a counterpoint to that yeah. well, like that's playing fair he, he, you know here's what i like about the baz Luhrmann film it, it doesn't really turn elvis into a good guy mm-hmm. it still lets him have all of his addictions and his bad habits it doesn't have all of them of course no but it, it has, has a, a lot of that, them yeah. but uh it does at the very least make me sympathize with elvis mm-hmm. about how he was controlled by this evil colonel dude yeah and uh how he, he did become an industry that was sort of like taken out of his hands he was driven a little bit mad by the machine he was fed into. Yeah. Um, Priscilla was another victim of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he was being abused by the colonel. He in turn was abusing all the people in his life. Um, we got some music out of it. Mm. Out here, outside of Elvis. Yeah. But it was birthed from this web of complete misery. Yeah. Where everybody was manipulating and hating each other and not having a great time and they were all addicted to drugs and not focused on anything real in their lives. Yeah. Uh, that's what Coppola's film is getting at. Yeah. That the life of a celebrity mm. is a, a world of damage. And even if we get brilliant art out of it, when you trace it back to its origin, you're just going to find human misery. Yeah. Well, that mm. sucks. Sounds like a good movie, though. It's a good movie. Okay. Very like like uh, like most Sofia Coppola movies. It's more of a mood piece than a story. Yeah. It's not like Sounds getting right. getting through all of like the bullet points about just sort of what her emotional journey was. Yeah. So it's really low key. It's really kind of gentle and mellow, uh, and it's nice to see a movie like this being a big hit. I went to see yeah, it in a sold it's out real theater. Well, yeah. Um, I have no linking material to my next film. Oh, um, uh, uh, Kaylee yeah. Spaney plays Priscilla. I should actually oh, yeah. name, name the actress. Um, a young actress who I'm not terribly familiar with. I think she was yeah. in Pacific Rim Uprising. She was in Pacific Rim Uprising. There you go. I liked her in that. I, I thought she was really good in that. I hoped, I was hoping she'd yeah. have more opportunities. Um, yeah, I have no linking material to my next uh, uh, review. Uh, it is a holiday slasher called It's a Wonderful Knife. Stabby, stabby. Stabby, stabby. Uh, and uh, it's really good. I really like this one a lot. Um, the, the premise of the movie is there's a small town. It's very hallmarky. It's very Christmas-centered. Um, it is Christmas in the small town. Uh, this one asshole capitalist, played by Justin Long, who is going, like, full Vincent Price here. <laughs> and I'm starting to realize that Justin Long is going for Vincent Price. Is that like good it, or bad? I think it's good, actually. When all you right. think about like just how he's like really giving his all to every horror movie he's in, and he's just in more and more horror movies, and he's playing different characters. But Vincent Price would play all kinds of different characters, but there was always a certain Vincent Priciness to them, mm. uh, and I think there's always a little Justin Longiness to a lot of his roles. And I was thinking about like almost any role, maybe not Tusk, but like almost any role in a horror movie Justin Long played, Vincent Price could have played. Like, if he was, like, the disgraced actor in Barbarian, uh-huh. that's, Vincent Price could have played that character. That would have oh, totally sure. made sense. Yeah. And here he's playing this, like, evil industrialist who's trying to take over this town. Vincent Price would totally have been good at that. So I'm, I'm kind of down for that. Um, he's trying to uh, buy up this town so he can build this new 
fancy shopping center. Uh, and there's, of course, one person in town uh, who refuses to sell their land. Uh, after coming to him on Christmas Eve, just saying, you have to sell, whatever, and the guy says, no, I won't, you're a bad person. Coincidentally, uh, someone dressed not unlike uh, uh, like an angel that would top a Christmas tree uh, kills that guy. Okay. The guy who owned that property. And then goes after that guy's niece who was at like a high school party and slashes them. And then they're gonna they're noticed by people they're gonna kill more people and then uh, a teenager who uh is the daughter of Justin Long's like biggest business associate uh, stops him and pulls off the mask and wouldn't you know it it was Justin Long and he's been killed and everything's okay okay uh, a year goes by and our protagonist Winnie who's played by Jane Widdup uh, an actor I'm not terribly familiar with but they are great I guess she's in yellow jackets um it's in a year later, and she's still a mess over it. She killed a guy. She saw one of her friends get murdered. Uh, but everyone else around her is in really high spirits. Hmm. Like, her father took over that business, and now their family is really wealthy, and they're doing really good things, and everyone just wants to go about their business on Christmas. She's like, no, one year ago today, I killed a guy. I know he was a bad guy, but I still killed the guy. Why does no one care about this? And then finally, she uh, uh, she goes off on her own. She's, she's exhausted and exasperated with everybody. And then she makes a Christmas wish to have never been born. And she finds... <laughs> I know. I don't know if she's... I, I, for, uh -huh. I, I forget if they actually mentioned the movie. I don't know if she's, she's, she's seen the movie and is actively referencing it or not. Is Clarence a demon? No, actually they do reference it later uh. because there's, there's, a, there's mention of... Um, Wait, who's Clarence in this situation? Like that was the oh, that was a joke that gets played about the movie. Oh my god, that motorcycle! Circle Park! Block, yeah. Park your motorcycle! Jeez! Yeah, to make you a character in the podcast. Oh no, it's asshole. Okay. <laughs> Good old asshole. Everyone's favorite oh, asshole. character. I didn't see you come in. <laughs> hey everybody, look, it's asshole. Uh, but no, since he's never been born, but that means that no one stopped the serial killer that year. Mm. And now, Justin Long is alive. Mm. He's running the town. His brother is the sheriff and he's incompetent. So he's, and there's a serial killer. Is, is he named Potter? Like, do they, do they go no, deep into the No, he's not or? named Potter. It's not that broad. But, um, but, uh, so he's running the town, and he's been killing people all year. He, apparently he developed a taste for it, and he just keeps killing people who are getting in the way of his business interests, and it's a lot. Uh, his villain name is Waters, so I guess that's kind of Potter. Potter, yeah, It doesn't really work. Uh, does he call it Watersville? Though? No, I don't think he does, right. but I'm fine. Um, so now, she's the only one who knows that he's the killer. Mm -hmm. And no one will believe her, of course. And nobody knows she exists. Uh, so she teams up with, like, the one kid in school who literally everyone calls weirdo. Okay. Because uh, she's, like, the only person who will even, like, talk to her. And she might be able to actually convince her what's going on. She f convinces them what's going on. And they have to find a way to put things right so that she can go back to her uh, reality. And there are some twists, which I actually thought were pretty effective. Um but mostly, it's just a really fun, high-concept slasher. 
Okay. Um, it's a good double feature with something like Freaky, which is basically, hey, what if Freaky Friday but Slasher? Yeah. And this is, hey, what if it's a wonderful life but Slasher? Uh, and that's something that, frankly, Christmas movies have been doing for a really long ass time, especially in the made for TV realm. Like, what if Groundhog Day but Christmas? Right. What if Liar Liar but Christmas? What if anything but a horror movie is perfectly fine? Mm. And this Christmas themed one is really, really good. The cast is great. Uh, you got Joel McHale uh, as uh, Winnie's dad. You got Catherine Isabel, who, as far as I'm concerned, is horror royalty now. She's always one of the best <laughs> things about everything that she's in. Ever since Ginger Snaps. Yeah, she's just always great in everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really clever. It's really funny. Uh, it wraps up kind of nice. There's, there's two things that are holding it back. And they're not deal breakers, but they do, they do bring it down a bit. Uh, one is that it seems like it's going for this kind of cheap TV movie aesthetic kind of on purpose, but I maybe think that's they, all they could do and maybe that's all with they could, it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they shot their, 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 their budget on the cast who are like kind of a lot of like reasonably big names who would get a decent paycheck or maybe they did it on purpose to evoke that kind of Hallmark kind of mentality. Yeah. Either way, I, I think they overdid it a little, and some of the movie just looks cheap, uh, which is unfortunate because it doesn't well, like, it, it narratively doesn't feel cheap. It feels well, again, very complex. Again, cheap isn't necessarily bad. We're just talking about the Marvels is a little shabby and cheap yeah. in its proportions. Well, <clears throat> that movie was very expensive actually, but like yeah. it, this one, it just it actually, feels the, the like cheap parts are the worst parts. Of it, but yeah. Exactly, but no, this this there's there's low budget and then there's cheap. Yeah, you know, low budget is you know you you don't have a lot of money, but you put it to good use. Uh, hopefully. And uh, cheap is there should be more production design here. <laughs> this doesn't feel as lived in as it should. And I like realize an you're you're going for kind of like this particular aesthetic, but I think you you hit it too hard, and I think it undersells your movie a little bit. And then lastly, there's this kind of a twist or kind of a plot development really late in the movie that kind of changes the genre a little. Hmm. I don't want to. I can't really explain it without going to spoiler territory. But there's just this turn where all of a sudden instead of doing this like kind of conventional slasher it's one of a life thing we're also doing this thing and i don't think it oh, earns that a little too ambitious it's it, well, maybe it's too ambitious maybe it's just they didn't set it up well enough um but um yeah it's there's just a, a like the climax has a very different vibe and i don't think it fits the movie very well i don't think you really needed it and i don't think uh, I, I feel like that's a rewrite away from properly working or uh -huh. possibly just not being in the movie. Uh, so it's it's not 100%. But it's it's a solid slasher. All and right. I like that we're getting more kind of... Well, I use original in air quotes because this is called literally called It's a Wonderful Night. But, you know, <laughs> but not non-franchise yeah. well, slasher movies that are really making a mark. And the cast is really, really good and it's I really think, fun. I think we're entering a phase because uh, just a couple of weeks ago I reviewed a, a really fun movie called Totally Killer. It's mm. a t time travel slasher movie. Or a, and it was Back to the Future, but ba Back slasher. to the Future, but a slasher movie. Yeah. I, I'm getting the idea that... Um, we're ready for horror films to be fun again. Yeah. I mean, horror films have always ran the gamut. It's yeah. it's the one genre that remains consistent throughout cinema history. Yeah, some... Like, so there are they, they some genres that go of, up and down, but... Yeah, it, they cycle through in what's yeah. most popular right now, but there's mm. always something of everything. There's always going to be some horror movies, like... Number one and number two are always going to change around. Number three is always horror. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> and it's great, just throughout um, cinema history. Um, 
and you, you can trace a lot of the trends and a lot of people yeah. uh, will, will go straight back to the early 2000s, like about 20 years ago when torture movies were really big. Mm-hmm. And then Saw we had, movies, hostile movies. We, we went from like torture movies, we went from like J-horror movies mm-hmm. to torture movies to then, remakes. Yeah, then then we had yeah. sort of that nostalgia wave, we're going to have uh, all these remakes, but uh, they're, they're going to be just as gritty and brutal as anything mm-hmm. from the torture era. Um then we we're just found footage. We're, yeah, we're just going. Yeah, uh, yeah then we're going to do. Uh, well, now we have cell phones. We're going to tap into tech, and that's where found footage comes from, mm-hmm. even if it takes place in the past. Um, all of these things are very kind of terse, uh, and I think we started to move away from that when we got into that haunting trend. You know, so you're conjuring movies. Yeah, where everything's a little bit more of a haunted house vibe. Yeah, to a lot it. more but, ghostly. Yeah, um, mostly ghostly. Mostly ghostly. PG thirteen rated movies. You could, you yeah, know, go, high school kids could go see and have a good time with. Um, there wasn't weren't a lot of silly horror movies in there. That was sort of like you know that, that uh, there you were had like to find uh, comedies with a horror element, perhaps, mm-hmm. but like a, a comedy horror where the yeah, horror where, is equal or more, or, or there's so. or there's violence, and we can kind of chuckle at the violence. It yeah. seems like we're back to a point in filmmaking where violence can be presented as something kind of fun and funny, yeah. and not just something really horrifying and brutal. I think that's why a lot of people like those haunting movies. Yeah. There's not like murder in those movies. Mm. So it's always like fighting for someone's soul, saving them from, what was it? The further, uh, in the insidious movies. Um, there were very few shots of like somebody stalking down a hallway and like cutting someone's arm off with a knife. Yeah. Not a lot of that. Right, we got a new Saw movie this year, and it was brutal. So yeah. I think it's coming back. Maybe so. Well, that that, but again, that's nostalgia. It Saw has outlived its usefulness. We're just kind of. <laughs> I wonder if you still haven't seen the new one. Have I haven't you? seen the new. I, I think seen the, the new last one's quite two, good. Yeah. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna seriously I give credit to the new. I saw one. I the think first it's quite eight. Good. I have not seen nine and ten. Okay, um, nine's not very good, but ten's good. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the Saw movies reflected where we were in like the early 2000s and now sure. we're just sort of oh I'm, I miss when we were miserable <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I, from what you're describing it sounds like a slasher movie that can kind of be chuckled at is yeah, I think and, I and, a good and, time and, with this one and we have really movies do. like Happy Death yeah. Day and Freaky which yeah. were, with this, by the same screenwriter all of a piece um, all yeah. of a piece this is, from, this is from the director of Tragedy Girls Oh, which like Tragedy Girls with the, Alexander Ship and um, what's her face? Um, uh, oh my Megasonic God. Teenage Warhead. Megasonic Teenage Warhead, whose name escapes me, but deserves <laughs> I a shout I forgot out. the name of the actress. Yeah, but, but remember Megasonic Teenage Warhead? Admittedly, that's a pretty memorable name. Mm. Um, if you never saw Tragedy Girls, it's a very Heathersy, bleak. Mm. Brianna Hildebrand. Brianna Hildebrand. That uh, was yeah. her name. But um, it's about uh, two like monstrous teenagers who decide to become serial killers so that they can benefit from the sort of tangential connection on social media. It's like, oh, there was a tragedy at our school. Follow my Instagram for updates. Yeah. Uh, And it is so cynical and funny. (laughs) Like, that movie is great. It's a little unfocused, but it's really great. And if you've never seen it... Well, the two leads are really good. Yeah, so if you like, like, this wave of, like, you know, uh, totally killer... Uh, freaky uh, it's a wonderful knife uh, and like you want to see another one like that and you missed it Tragedy Girls is very very good so definitely check that out uh, tell me about Nyad uh, Nyad uh, N-Y-A-D Nyad is about uh, Diana Nyad ah who that makes uh, sense. who was a, a competitive swimmer huh. uh, in 1978 Diana Nyad 
attempted uh, one of the biggest swims of all time, twice the length of the English Channel. She mm -hmm. wanted to swim from the shore of Cuba to the southernmost Florida Key, uh -huh. which is like 111 miles. It's, it's over 100 miles. It's a staggering amount yeah. of, of, of and distance. You, yeah. And you have to swim for essentially like 72 hours straight. Yeah. And in order to break these records, uh, and they talk about this in the movie, you can't like hang onto a boat and rest. Yeah. You just have to stay in the water. And they say that doing this, you, you're you abusing your body in ways that you no never other intended. athlete does. Well, you never intended like, to. You, like, you, it's, swim, it's you swim and you swim nature. and you swim and you, you start gulping down seawater and it makes you really sick and you vomit, but you just vomit in the water and you just keep on going. You yeah. just poop in the water and you just keep on going. Uh, they explain that there's a lot of dangers to this. There's sharks in those waters. Yeah. Uh, Diana Nyad uh, famously didn't use shark cages, which were um, ways to repel the sharks at the time. She used like yeah. a new kind of sonic repellent that sharks would like see her swim up and then just sort of swim away. Yeah. Like something would bounce, like the sonic. Like, oh, she doesn't want to be bothered right now. Yeah. We should go. Um, although uh, she does talk how jellyfish are kind of an issue and she gets stung on oh. the face a couple oh, times God. in this movie. It's awful. Uh, they have to develop, like, the special mask for her at one point. But yeah, uh, she tried this in 1978. She didn't make it. Uh, and then years passed. Uh, she's in, now in her mid-60s. She's played by Annette Benning, And uh, she is kind of... I, I don't mean this in the euphemism way. She's friends and roommates with Jodie Foster. Oh. They're gay characters. They say it outright. Okay. <laughs> it's not like, oh, they're good friends or they're roommates, but secretly they're lovers. No, they actually say... We dated briefly when, like, 30 years ago. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. We don't... And now we're just sort of hang out. Yeah. Um, so it's platonic... It's it's platonic, but it's yeah. like a, an intense platonic friendship between yeah. these two these two women. And... Uh, uh, Diana Nyad says at one point, I'm in my mid-60s. I'm not done yet. Let's try that Cuba thing again. <laughs> Let's swim... I want to swim from Cuba to, to Florida. Yeah. And she's 65. And of course, no one says, you can't do that. You're 65. And, yeah. and her attitude is, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And everyone's like, but you can't. Fuck you. I'm going to do it. And she just keeps on saying that over and over yeah. again. Is that the actual can... line? Because I hope it is. And sadly, it's not. Ah, bummer. It's a PG-13 rated film. So there's like precious few fucks. Fudge you. I'm going to do it. Oh, it's just, you know, she just, she is determined to do no, this. I she wants, wants to get it done. And, and Annette Penning is so good. It's just oh, she's a, that's a brilliant sort of spike, actor. Spiky kind of a character. Brilliant actor. Uh, and Jodie Foster is no slouch either in general. I haven't seen the movie, but jo she's jo Jodie Foster. And, and she's Jodie Foster. She's really good, too. Yeah. Um, and, and the movie just sort of details how they go about this. And you know, I shared all the details, the things they need to prepare for, the things like jellyfish, finding somebody who can uh, uh, drive the ship nearby. Yeah, she's so, not all on her own. There's no, no, people there's, nearby there's like four, just in case like tragedy strikes. There's like 40 people in boats all around her to make yeah. sure that everything's going all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They don't just sort of say, okay, bye. Just start good, swim, good luck. Start oh, swimming we'll toward We'll see you in Florida. Florida. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, no, so there's, there's somebody there. They, and, and, you know, they give her, like, food and water through a tube. She can't hold on to anything, but they, like, feed her yeah. through a tube. And uh, they get uh, Reese Ephons to be the, the cantankerous boat driver. I don't want to do this. Okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, and, he, you know, he's really the right great. role I, for him, yeah. This is all Hollywood cliche bullshit. Ah. Um, it, it is the lightest, most predictable stuff. Ah. Uh, what's substantial about this? Nothing. It's about a woman who is very determined and she does it. 
Um, mm-hmm. You look up Diana Nyad's records. Uh, she was very briefly certified by the Guinness Book of World Records, and then her certification was withdrawn <gasps> because evidently there was portions of the swim that were unsupervised. Oh. Or there's like things that they couldn't account for, so they couldn't say for sure that she did it without aid. Oh, uh, that sucks. Like, hey, how about this? She did a fucking lot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I, just I, put her in the Guinness Book. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, I love that the Guinness yeah. Book has got all of these, like, you know, mm. hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're Guinness. Well, and you look up We're not Guinness. Gonna... You look up Guinness and you find it's like, oh, all these, like, wealthy people. Yes, I, I broke a record. The most drones in my portrait flew over yeah, my kingdom. Like, some other like... categories, like the person with the largest beard of bees. Mm. Like, come on, Guinness. <laughs> Can you imagine being, like, the third largest beard of bees? Oh, like, you'd be so pissed. You have nothing. It was, I was four bees away. <laughs> you find four yeah. extra bees. Yeah, it, it is just that. Just sort of the step-by-step yeah. process of how they prepare, what they need to do, yeah. and how many times Diana and I has to say to somebody, fuck you, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And just kind of convincing people to get on her side about finding a sponsor who's mm-hmm. going to sponsor this thing. How she actually did it, like, had to do, like... She did it in 1978, and then three more tries in her 60s yeah. before she finally made it all the way. Jesus. So yeah, it's about all of those failed I mean, attempts. It's an impressive as well. accomplishment. I, mean, yeah. I can't argue that. Um, what what this film lacks in terms of story or richness, it more than makes up for in how great the two leads are. Yeah, Annette Bening and Jodie Foster are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you I would believe, just you you believe, those two yeah, are in a movie. I'm going to see that movie. The scenes of them just sort of hanging around in a kitchen, uh, like petting their dogs and being super lesbians it is <laughs> like they bring such good lesbian to this movie. Um, I have one question about this movie and yeah. it's, it's something that I've been wondering ever since I found out that the title was, you know, someone's name. Hmm. Did they ever mention that? I know it's spelled differently. Hmm. That a naiad is a water sprite. They mention that fucking constantly. Okay. In, this movie. Okay. <laughs> in fact, one of the opening <laughs> scenes is a flashback to Diana Nyad getting a, a talk from her father saying, you know what Nyad means, right? Oh, okay. It's a water nymph. Like, he holds so a they Here it is. Here's in the dictionary. A water oh my nymph. god, there's yeah. that motorcycle again. Yeah. Who are and, you? And, and, and she brings it up a lot. That's part of her, uh, part of her legacy. Is that, yes, I'm, I'm a Nyad. I'm part of this legacy of Nyad. Whatever. I'm a swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes and, you think. And it all comes together at the end when we sort of see documentary footage mm. of Diane and I at like the talk show circuit she went on when she did this wonderful thing back in, I think it was 2013. Um, it's, it's the one you watch with your mom. It's the one you watch with your family. It has that kind of gentle Hollywood uh, uh, acceptability yeah. to it. It's it's uh, just a really like inspiring tale of overcoming adversity. Mm. Is it an inspiring tale that overcomes adversity? Yes. Is it effective? Yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. You know, it's what my mom might call a too hanky movie. You're gonna cry a little bit because it's so inspiring. Yeah. You're just there for the performances, really. Yeah. <laughs> You're there for the two lead actresses, and they're both great. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. I think I think that's it for you, right? I got one that's more that's all I saw this week. All well, right. I, I did see one other, but it's not coming out till like next week. Yeah. So. so we'll get to that one. We'll get to that when people can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So one more movie. Uh, it is. It is a theatrical release. It's a small theatrical release, but it is essentially in the vein of a Hallmark Christmas. Uh, it is called A Holiday I Do. Uh, which is a again, as we mentioned at the top, mm. a very awkward title. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, it is about uh, a single mother uh, played by Lindsay Hicks. Uh, and she is, uh, she, she's gay, she's dating, she's single, and her ex-husband, uh, is her best friend. Okay. So, they're never entirely clear exactly how the relationship fell apart or, or why. Was it... she's gay, that might have something to do with it. But but they never actually said, maybe she's bi. Mm -hmm. And they just realize the marriage didn't work or maybe she realized she was gay and that's why the marriage dissolved it's never quite explained but it's not terribly important um her best friend is her her ex-husband and her ex-husband is getting married okay uh at christmas it's a christmas wedding uh and uh she is involved in the process in fact she is responsible for throwing the bachelor party and her ex-husband's new fiance uh is no fun and she she wants her fiance <laughs> like hey listen in the morning we have to do all of this uh wedding stuff we have to like test out the cake and we have to go uh check out like the veil and we're gonna do all of this big uh wedding stuff and he's like okay and then they stay out all really really late and there's like this mm. one kind of cute bit where she had gone to their local bakery in their small town in in, in America, and <laughs> she uh, she was getting oh my god in heaven! Don't comment on it. Just Every time. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna comment. <laughs> no, just leave it. Just, go. Keep, just keep you going. Don't want me. I'm leaving it in the show. Um, she she went to like her local bakery to get novelty cupcakes that looked like boobs. And they, and they talk this up like this is the big bachelor party thing. This is the big like reveal. Like, oh my <laughs> god, we're gonna get cupcakes that look like boobs. Don't, I, don't you find it erotic? <laughs> but then she finally opens up the cupcakes. We've been building up these cupcakes all day. And it turns out that her mother, who is, spends the entire movie baking, mm-hmm. uh, saw the cupcakes and was like, oh, those are boring cupcakes. So she turned all the boobs into Santa Clauses and the nipples are his nose. All right. Comedy. Uh, he ends up staying out all night, and he's like kind of hungover slash still drunk in the morning, <clears throat> oh. and it kind of ruins all of their wedding plans. Uh, and his fiance is not very happy about it, but they got to go pick up their parents. And then our hero ends up hanging out with their wedding planner, uh, who is also gay, and they hit it off famously, and they start doing all this oh. wedding stuff together. And it's very romantic. And they start having a bit of a thing. And isn't that nice? And they're doing all this fun Christmas and wedding stuff. Are they going to have a holiday I do? They might have a holiday I do of some kind. Uh, and then, But then things go wrong in a very spectacular way. Can we save Christmas? And also, by the way, can we save the horse ranch? Because it turns out the horse ranch isn't doing very well either. And if we can't save the horse ranch by okay, tomorrow, we're in a lot bored. of trouble. Right? watch the movie. I feel like this movie is, like, specifically designed to fill, like, a void in this kind of, like, uh, lo-fi, low ambition. Mm. And there's an audience for it. God knows I'm a part of it. This very cheesy Christmas rom-com genre. Yeah. Uh, It's several years too late for that. Even Hallmark started (laughs) doing queer-centric Christmas movies. There was the Christmas House 
which is actually quite cute. Uh, there was the Christmas The, the way setup. you said it, I'm just thinking of the 1977 Japanese horror movie yeah, house. That's about right. Christmas house. The Christmas house. <laughs> um, but the, and, and honestly, Hallmark didn't do a terrible job with those. Like, they're pretty cute, at least the ones I saw. Um, so the novelty factor is kind of gone. And all we've really got here is a low-budget queer Christmas rom-com. Uh, and it's not the worst one of those. Like, I will say this at least. I will give uh, credit for this. Uh, the uh, Wedding Planner mm. is played by Rivka Reyes, uh, who previously was one of the kids in School of Rock. Okay. And that was like... I like a, School of Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was in School of Rock as a kid, and I guess she's like, you know took a hiatus from acting for a while mm. uh and uh, you know she's back and like i've read like her like story apparently that was not a good experience mm. being known as the kid from school of rock and like people teased her and stuff like that uh. and it really sucked but um you know now they're they're back in the game and you know what charming <laughs> charming as hell like really really good charisma like if nothing else, this movie is a really, really great launching pad for Rivka Reyes. So I hope they do uh, they do bigger and better things. Uh, but essentially, this is a Hallmark rom-com. If it was a Hallmark rom-com, if we were like putting it up against that competition, it's hardly the worst. There's a lot Not of cute right. stuff in it. I'll give them credit. The, uh, the fiancé, who at first seems like the stick in the mud, who doesn't like our hero, actually a pretty good character... She's under a lot of pressure with a wedding, like, mm -hmm. and, like, her husband isn't taking, her fiancé isn't taking it seriously, and the person who ran his bachelor party is actively undermining it, unintentionally or otherwise. Yeah, she's pissed. Like, even the movie realizes, like, eh, she, she's okay. Mm -hmm. And I actually like that. I thought that was sweet, because often those characters are just kind of demonized for existing for being the other person in the film and so there's a certain sensitivity i think to all of the characters that i think is noble but ultimately it's a cheap just okay all christmas right. movie and i'm i'm gonna judge it when we review our movies on the critically acclaimed scale on that scale <laughs> yeah because compared to it's, a lot of bigger movies this would be considered, curve, yeah, you gotta sure. rate that on a curve so uh it's time for the review of movies on the critically acclaimed scale uh once again uh, that scale is uh, a C. Hmm. We rated from movies from C minus to C plus. A C is an average movie, um, just kind of what you expect. Just okay. Uh, C plus is above average. Those are movies we genuinely recommend. We think they're really, really good or great. Uh, and C minus is below average. We think they're stinkers. And I think if you compare to Holiday, I do to a lot of the more like polished mainstream market stuff. It would seem like a C minus, but in its specific milieu, C. Right. It's an adequate C. If this sounds like the kind of thing, oh, that sounds kind of charming. Boom, you'll enjoy the movie probably. You won't. It won't be your favorite, but it's okay. Right. Uh, on that note, uh, what was it? Nyad. Nyad is a C. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. It's a good, strong C. Mm -hmm. um, it. Yeah. It's it. It's the it's the good family movie to watch this Christmas. Just okay. Ga gather around, watch the swim the swim triumph drama. Of the human spirit. And, it, it, it's a bit of a puffball, but it's a, it's a good puffball. All right. Uh, it's a Wonderful Knife. I'm giving a C plus. Um, it's not the greatest, you know, slasher of its ilk, but it's highly entertaining, and the cast mm. is really, really great, and they do a lot with a fun premise, and the couple of things to its detriment don't really bring it down much. I had a really right. good time, and I think you will too. Uh, let's see. Priscilla. 
Priscilla, uh, it, it's a C plus. It's a gentle mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a passionate C plus, but I think it it does what it sets out to do, which is really kind of explore this uh, very dreamy headspace that Pris- Priscilla Presley lived in. Fair enough. Uh, let's see, dream scenario. Uh, great premise, great cast, kind of squandered, and ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, too too narrowly focused considering all the material they could have had to work with. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna I got I'm gonna give it a C minus. It's oh, okay. it's it's not the worst C minus I've ever given. Mm. I just don't think it works. Okay. Uh, I know some people really enjoyed it, so uh, I don't I I think they picked up on everything I picked up on. I think I just liked it more. Okay. So there might be people who enjoy it more than I do, but I can't fully recommend it. Uh, the killer. The Killer SC Plus. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in it. I think it's uh, being touted as something really, really sexy when it's actually about the exact opposite of that. It's being touted um, as sexy? Who's calling it sexy? In, in the advertising. That's, okay. that's what I'm getting. Get, that's well, the vibe. They're I'm trying getting. to get you to click on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be a C Plus as well. I think it's a really excellent movie. Um, yeah, it feels, it feels very much like the latest in a long line of movies that could have been called The Killer. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's a very, very good one. I overthink. Mm. I think overall, it's it's intelligent and it does a really good job of framing a very familiar concept in a very specific, modern. Take a drink, mm. milieu. Uh, and then lastly, the Marvels. The Marvels. Um, it, again, a C plus, but not a passionate one. Yeah, I th- I think it's a, a decent watchable film. Yeah. Uh, you know, right up the middle and. When you get a film like that in a series that has been going on for 15 years mm-hmm. and has dominated the marketplace. And, and there's over 30 of them. And takes the air out of the room with every available opportunity. People are still asking fucking Martin Scorsese about these movies. Yeah. Uh, when you have one that's slight, it's really refreshing. Yeah. Uh, so I actually like this one, I think, more than I tend to like these yeah. things. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the series, but I like this yeah. one. Even though it's... it's directly related to not just Captain Marvel but multiple TV series mm. it doesn't feel weighted down yeah, by the it, history like, of it you don't have to see all those things no no it feels like enjoy this light space adventure it feels like it's own thing and it feels mm. like a nice yeah. little respite and mm. the cast is really really excellent mm. so yeah it's got sloppy studio note-itis but mm. it's a C plus I really yeah. enjoyed it I had a really good time I'm reminded of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 which mm. you know it's a two and a half hour film it goes everywhere it's all these planets it's sprawling and that one tries to sort of up, like play up its own quirkiness mm-hmm. to the point where it's kind of grating. Um, I feel like the filmmakers of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 were really trying to push a very certain kind of irreverent humor mm-hmm. that felt artificial to me. Well, it felt like he was really pushing uh, something he wasn't... Like he was trying to be quirky rather than mm-hmm. just be quirky. Well, you and I were talking right. about this after the movie when we left the theater. Yeah. And we were talking about like, yeah, why does this movie's kind of sense of humor feel very refreshing in a way that Guardians of the Galaxy, and I like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 a lot actually, but it just has a very different tone. And I think it's because in especially in the James Gunn movies, mm-hmm. um that level of quirk uh is the baseline it's not. Yeah. It doesn't contrast with anything. And here in the Marvels, there is a world out mm-hmm. there. There is a certain amount of like just baseline seriousness. And yeah, people are funny in it, but it's not a wacky world to start with. Yeah, the characters bring that humor and joy to it. So, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I think it's really, really good. Um, so also a C plus. Yeah, also a C plus. Right. Uh, coming up next on. Critically acclaimed, 
Uh, other movies, I forgot once again. I think Napoleon is opening. Is that? Week, I think yeah. that's. I think that's Thanksgiving. Oh, maybe it is. Hold on, I'm gonna vamp for a second. I mean, Napoleon's coming up. We got um, we got a new Godzilla movie coming up. That's at the end of the month. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Toho put out another Godzilla movie. I've seen it already, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. review it just yet. Oh, you monster. I've reviewed it in print, though. You can go to Slash Film and yeah. read my review in print. Hold on, I'm looking at it. We're going we're gonna to do this, damn it. <laughs> Bye, gum. We're coming out with another Marvel. What? Yeah. What is the next Marvel? Oh, there's a, new, there's a new anymore. Hunger Games opening this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the young, Ballad of uh, Songbirds and Snakes. The, the origin of the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Like a prequel film. Oh, I there's a, there's a new Grindhouse yeah. spinoff, Thanksgiving. That's right. There's a new Taika Waititi film called Next Goal Wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Saltburn like, from Emerald Fennel, the director I see, of... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Saltburn. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, Next Goal Wins, haven't seen that yet, but mm. it does feel like Taika Waititi is giving up. Uh, he's, <laughs> it's a, I'm, it's ju- a, I'm just going to do a quirky a, underdog quir- sports quirky movie. Quirky underdog sports Looks movie, like the easiest Disney thing film. in the world. Yeah. Not, not going to bring anything to that. Well, we will give it a fair shake when we get an opportunity to see it. But anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you want to listen to this episode and future episodes ad-free, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We also have a lot of exclusive podcasts. We're just about to record a new episode of our Oscars podcast, Only the Best, where we're going to review all of the Best Picture nominees from 1954 yes. and decide what should have won. Uh, and a bunch of other things as well. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, we are also on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm Matt William Bibiani. I'm Matt Whitney Seibold. And of course, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And our P.O. Box is... Uh, send us a f- piece of physical mail to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. I had a, I had a nightmare the other day mm-hmm. that we had to switch P.O. Boxes and we have like... <laughs> thousands of podcasts <laughs> where we've given the wrong one and people no. guys keep sending us mail to the wrong one and we won't get their letters and I felt like, but we haven't done that yet we're still good it's still the same one office. do you ever ever read the great and secret show the Clive Barker novel I have yeah I have where, read that, where, yeah. Uh, the, the bad guy works at the dead letter office yeah. and begins opening the dead letters and finding connections and synchronicity uh, between all of human consciousness and it's it a sequel draws him into a world of evil where he enhances himself with chemicals and it's a secret to that Greg, uh, sequel to that Greg Kinnear comedy Dear God uh, no, Great and Secret Show came first. Uh, okay. Dear God's Dear, a sequel. Dear God's a sequel. Sorry, sorry, but it's a prequel to Dear God. There you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for. I listening. recommend the Great and Secret Show. I, I, Dear God is adequate at best, and uh, that is it for quickly. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody. Have a great week, uh, and we'll see you soon. And never forget, everyone is a critic. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry. What? <laughs>